Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. They think it's all over at the FSA, but what will the abolition of the regulator mean for consumers? BP loses on penalties, but what can investors do as they lose £525 million worth of dividends? And as the clock ticks down to the emergency budget, could an offshore pension be a last-minute winner? All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. And Tanya Poli. Hiya. And our special studio guest, Mark Baker, the research guru for Capita Registrars. Hello there. So let's start with the money news. This week, Chancellor George Osborne confirmed that the Financial Services Authority, the city watchdog created by Gordon Brown back in 1997, was to be abolished. The Bank of England will take on responsibility for preventing the build-up of risk in the financial system and ensuring that individual banks, building societies and insurance companies are operating safely. And the FSA's other regulatory powers will pass to a new Consumer Protection and Markets Authority charged with regulating the conduct of every institution in the city. So, will this mean safer investments or less choice? Fewer risky mortgages or just fewer mortgages? Alice, how has the city reacted to the Mansion House speech? Well, uh, in terms of consumer groups and how they've reacted, there's definitely... um positive feeling there. Uh, I mean, consumer groups don't really think that the FSA did a good job overall. Um, It's been criticised for always taking kind of retroactive action. So it's waited for these consumer mis-selling scandals to happen, such as precipice bonds or payment protection insurance, self-certified mortgages. It's let all these things happen and then it's stepped in and tried to regulate it after it's already happened. So there's been long kind of an idea by consumer groups that the FSA needed to do more at the beginning to stop this kind of thing happening. And, And and this is the hope that this new um, Consumer Protection and Markets Authority will change its powers in that way, change its focus and hopefully end up in a better deal for consumers. And just turning to mortgages in particular, Tanya, one particular measure was widely rumoured to have been included in this Mansion House speech, which was capping uh, the loan-to-value ratios that le- mortgage lenders could offer to borrowers. And there was nothing at all about this, was there? No, there was actually no mention um, whatsoever. So, I mean, we're hopefully taking that that's actually not going to happen. Um, although, who knows? I mean, there's not obviously a lot of detail um, brought in, so um, further details could be sort of emerged later. But a lot of people were saying that would be uh, very detrimental to the housing market and the mortgage market, and especially to consumers, because um, obviously, I mean, high loan-to-values have been an issue with 
like 100%, 125% loans, um, but to stop, um, to actually kind of impose a limit. And there were talks about 75% loan to value, which is actually, it's not very high. And no. it would actually cause a lot of people really, I mean, a lot of people would have to uh, save up even more for deposit. And then there would also be this problem that maybe they would sort of have to be, have to stay at their lender if, if house prices dropped and their loan to value increased. So it would cause all further problems. I mean, it is something that other um, countries have actually implemented. I mean, I think um, earlier this year, Sweden said they were going to impose a loan to value limit of 90%. And um, I think Norway also were kind of mulling the idea. Um, But hopefully um, it won't actually happen over here. Especially as in the last few days, if not weeks, there appears to have been uh, a spate of very attractive mortgage offers coming out um, on the fixed rate side. Yes, that's right. Um, we are seeing kind of an easing, even on the high load to value, we're seeing more 90% deals emerge, 85%, which obviously mean, helps um, first-time buyers particularly. Um, and fixed rates, um, we're seeing a lot of attractive deals really. I mean, swap rates um, have actually come down quite a bit over the last two months for both two-year swaps and five-year swaps. And we've seen a few lenders kind of follow and actually um, cut rates um like following these um, the cut in swap rates. So we've actually had um, Chelsea Building Society this week come out with a 3.99% um, five-year fixed rate. That is low. That's low. I mean, we did have Britannia Co-op um, a few weeks ago. They launched their 3.99% five-year fixed rate, but that's actually been withdrawn from the market as of today, I think it will be, um, obviously because they've probably had a lot of people um, trying to take up that rate. Of course. Um, and we've actually had a few 10-year rates. Um, people like Yorkshire Building Society are being particularly aggressive in this market, Um and it, it it does seem to be quite a good time to fix because, I mean, I think we did have a rate of 3.95% um, for five-year fix last year. But actually, if you look back um, over the last seven years, it's probably we're coming to kind of a seven-year low if you forget about last year's um, one rate that we had. Um, so it's it's a good time to fix, but it's not necessarily the case for everyone. I think it's definitely worthwhile going to your mortgage broker to actually make sure your individual circumstances, um, what's better for you, basically. Because li- lifetime trackers are still very low and could initially be a good deal, especially if interest rates stay low. Thank you very much for that, uh, Tanya. So, yes, if you do want uh, a fixed rate, there are some good ones available right now before the uh, replacement to the FSA steps in with any more regulations. If you'd like to know exactly what these uh, mortgage deals are, have a look out for Tanya's article um, in FT Money with this weekend's FT. And for more on uh, the abolition of the FSA, uh, go to the website at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, if your employer offers you an offshore pension, should you take one? This week, BP finally bowed to political pressure and said that it would suspend its dividends this year and set aside $20 billion to cover claims relating to the Gulf of Mexico oil spill. A few days earlier, Capita Registrars had estimated that if BP cancelled two quarters of dividends, UK private investors would lose £350 million worth of income. But now that three quarterly dividends have been given up, the loss of income rises to £525 million. So what have shareholders been doing since the oil spill began back in April? And what else have they been seeking dividend income from? Mark, you've been studying the share registers of, uh, I think it's more than 2,000 companies, including BP. Uh, What have you seen? Well, we've seen quite an interesting change over the last few months, in fact, Um, At the beginning of the year, it looked like private investors might be beginning to get a little bit more positive on equities and starting to reinvest again. Uh, But actually, in the three months we've just finished, it looks indeed as if uh, they've started to run scared again, have taken that money back out of the market. 
pretty modest move, only £115 million out, but clearly with the Eurozone crisis spooking the markets, uh, the FTSE 100 coming right back down below 5,000 at one point, it has been a volatile time. And one thing we've learned from our research over the years is that private investors do not like volatile markets. And uh, this net selling that you've seen, uh, this is over the last, well, over the three months, the end end of May, isn't it? That's right. So it's taken, I suppose, a a series of of, of bad bits of news. You mentioned (laughs) the Eurozone crisis. Um, How much do you think um, the BP factor has has played a part in this? Well, it seems to be quite significant, um, but not so much in terms of money coming out of the market, but more in terms of how private investors are rebalancing the shares that they own. Um, £1.1 billion has been sold from the oil and resources sector over that period. That's quite a large move. Um, and it looks like the um, when you know, the first bad news came out of the Gulf of Mexico, people started to realise that actually all our eggs are in one very large oily basket and it's probably about time to find some other sources, particularly of income. And of course, as time went by and it became clear how much BP may have to pay and that dividends were under threat, in that in particular has driven investors to search out other income stocks and utilities have been where they've been putting their money. About £500 million has gone into utility sectors. So you know, that's where people are pretty reassured they're going to get a fairly safe income over time. So this seems to be a, a move into, into the classic defensives, such as utilities, because this is electricity generators and water companies, so those sorts of firms. Exactly those sorts of firms. You know, um, if, if we look at the top five dividend payers in the UK, BP and Shell, pay out a quarter of all dividends between them. So it's pretty scary how dependent we are on those two. But also in that top five, we see Vodafone, which is obviously a big mobile phone operator, Glaxo, um, SmithKline, uh, the pharmaceutical company, and HSBC. So those are still big payers. Um, Glaxo and Vodafone clearly are two very big defensive stocks who can pretty much maintain dividends, whatever happens in the economy. Not quite as big, but nevertheless big payers are, of course, the the uh, National Grid, for example, energy companies, water companies, who just keep pumping utilities into our homes and dividends into our pockets. Now, in terms of uh, other reasons for the sell-off, um, obviously the, the BP oil spill began on the 20th of April. But after that, we had a general election and we knew that there was going to be, shortly after that, an emergency budget. And then, of course, uh, we were told that capital gains tax is something that is going to very likely rise uh, from 18% to in line with income tax rates of 40 or 50%. Do you think that the threat of increased capital gains tax has played any part in this selling? Well, it, it seems to have played a part in the amount of trading people have done, if not in the amount of money that's come out of the market. Because as we, we see, not a lot of money has been pulled out of the market, but a lot of stock has actually been turned over. Now, that could be because people are trying to book capital gains, um, lock them in now in the hope that uh, they're not going to be affected by increases in the tax. Now, the interesting thing is actually the rate of tax is far less important than the tax allowance that people have. Um, On average, we have around 12 million people who own shares in the UK. On average, they own about £14,000 of equities each. Now, at the moment, the tax allowance is £10,100. So most people won't have enough gains to have to pay any capital gains tax. Some will, and clearly some of those wealthier people will have been trading. Um, If that allowance falls, and the Lib Dems were talking before the election of wanting to bring it down to about £2,000, that will cap 
catch a lot more people in the net and clearly capital gains tax is something that far more of us will have to think about paying. Certainly, and if we rule by BP at its current depressed levels <laughs> and its soars, we could all be paying capital gains tax uh, this time next year. Mark, thank you very much indeed uh, uh, for that um, analysis. And uh, for more on the impact of BP's dividend suspensions, uh, look out for the articles in FT Money this weekend and online at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, offshore pensions. In recent weeks, a number of UK employers have been trying to set up employee-funded retirement benefit schemes, or EFERBs, a type of offshore savings plan, ahead of restrictions on pension tax relief for those earning more than £150,000 that's due to come into force uh, from April 2011. The consultant Hyman's Robertson has revealed that the FTSE 250 company Colt Group introduced an EFERBS for its high earners back in April, and a number of its other clients are likely to put schemes in place after the budget next week. But are they suitable for all? Um, Alice, something called EFERBS sounds a bit strange, weird and wonderful. Um, who, who can really benefit from these schemes? Well, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be wonderful for everyone, basically. Um, EFERBs really only make sense for high earners who, uh, for whom it's no longer tax efficient to put money into a pension. Um, because an EFERBs does not offer um, this great pension tax relief on the way in, uh, which you can still get if you earn less than £130,000. So you can still get your 40% pension tax relief on the way into a pension. And that's still going to be a really good option for all of those people. Um, the small group of people to whom that doesn't apply, so they're those earning over 130,000 at the moment and over 150,000 from next April, it, it makes absolutely no sense for them really to pay into a pension. That's what we're now being told by pension consultants. So for them, if they still want to make some kind of long-term saving for retirement, an EFERBS does make sense, despite the fact that uh, they don't get the good pension tax relief. Uh, the employer can pay in as much as they want into this scheme. So, so there's no, no, no limit at all? No limit. No, you can put in as much as you want. It's just like a savings scheme. And it's just a way for employers to offer their high earners some sort of retirement save, savings vehicle. And in terms of uh, their tax treatment when the money's invested, obviously there's no, there's no tax relief on the money on the way in. What about when it's in an EFERBS and when it comes out? Well, there are two. Well, there's one good thing and one not so good thing there. So when the money is in the EFERBS, because it's offshore, it can grow free of tax. So that's uh, that's a good thing. And that makes it better than some other saving schemes. Uh, on the way out, when you start to take your money out of an EFERBS, so when you have retired, you do pay income tax in the same way that you would on a normal pension. So you will have that to pay. But that's no different from a normal pension. What about other alternatives, um, to a pension. So, so let, let's say um, that, uh, that you are one of these sort of uh, spectacularly high earners um, and you want to, well, keep your money growing tax-free, but possibly also receive it tax-free. What, what else could you do? Well, one thing that's also very popular with employers at the moment is setting up corporate ISAs, so individual savings accounts, stocks and shares. Um, but just uh, they're exactly the same as a normal ISA where you have your uh, allowance of £10,200 a year. Um, but instead of you paying it in, the company could pay it in for you. Um, and you get all exactly the same benefits, tax-free growth. Um, but the company has put in the money for you. And, you know, if it's £10,200 a year, you know, add that up. I mean, that's you know, that's going to match pension savings for some people. So that's also a good option. And uh, another good point about corporate ISAs is that it can be cheaper for you as well, because um, as with group pensions, a company is usually able to negotiate 
uh, lower annual fees on a corporate ISA than you would be able to get yourself if you bought you know, privately through a provider. And looking ahead to uh, next uh, Tuesday's emergency budget, for those um, people who are not earning, say, £150,000 plus, but those who are, who are sort of caught in that 100 150 do you think, uh, or does anyone in the industry think that there could be further restrictions, a further limitation on how much they can put in a pension? It's definitely possible. Um, it, Pension consultants are pretty frustrated about this, actually, because there's been a lot of um, flagging up of other measures that they are going to say in the emergency budget. So obviously we know that they're going to do something about capital gains tax. Um, And we know that they're going to um, raise or at least abolish the age um, at which you have to buy an annuity of 75. But they haven't said anything about pension tax relief. So everyone's kind of casting around in the dark slightly. Um, One option is that they could lower the um the level at which uh pension tax relief is curbed so it could go down from 150,000 to 100,000 i mean the lib dems wanted to scrap it altogether um the other main option and this is the one the pensions industry is really hoping that they will change in the emergency budget is to just um instead of uh all of these complicated measures on tax relief just introduce an, an annual allowance of how much you can put into your pension of maybe £50,000, and apparently that would be a lot simpler for everyone. So fingers crossed. Wouldn't that be good? Uh, I somehow doubt that it's going to be that simple. We'll find out on Tuesday. But thanks uh, for that, Alice. And for more on pension tax relief and alternatives to pensions for hireners, you can read Alice's article in FT Money with this weekend's FT. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you will find weekday news updates on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can now find all of our interactive web content brought together in one place on our brand new Money Matters page. You'll find our latest blog posts, columns that you can comment on, beginner's guides, top tips and details of our live Q&As. So send in your questions, comments, thoughts and gripes via the webpage ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form but until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Alice, Tanya and our special guest Mark Baker from Capita Registrars. Goodbye. Goodbye. 